The podcast opens today, observing 23-year-old me in an emergency room and quickly realizing I don't know many medical terms. We then get to watch me go for my first medical procedure. Fun times. And then repeat it all again two and a half decades later. You get to hear the single funniest one-liner that has ever been said, and yet nobody laughed. All on the way to answering the question, when is silence not golden? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. I was just out of college and holding down my first full-time job, paying my own rent and, well, most of my own way for the first time in my life, and generally feeling like I'd finally begun the real-life journey called adulthood. Then I started having some health problems. I was feeling bad. I won't go into all the details, but it got bad enough that I went to the emergency room one weekend because it was getting to the point where I could no longer ignore it, and I was, well, to be honest, I was getting scared. The emergency room doctor took everything I said very seriously, and after spending a couple of hours with me in the way that an emergency room doctor does, kind of on again, off again, he gave me his thoughts. He said, Listen, there's a chance that this is cancer. He said, and if I were you, that's the first thing I would want to either confirm or eliminate. So I would recommend you get an upper and lower GI done. Now, at this point, to be honest, he could have told me that I needed a full radial phlenectomy, which I'm pretty sure isn't a thing because I just made it up. Anyway, as I was saying, he could have told me I needed whatever it was I just made up, and it would have meant the same thing to me. Now, don't get me wrong. I've been to the doctor plenty of times. By the age 23, I'd broken several bones, suffered concussion, been knocked out cold, had to spend a night in the hospital with amnesia. But up until this point, all of my medical procedures had been well, had been having someone shooting x-rays through various parts of my body to see what damage I'd done to it this time. So between hearing the C word as a possible diagnosis and not having much experience with medicine outside of an orthopedist's care, I just assumed that he was describing some sort of series of x-rays. When I made my appointment to have the upper and lower GI done, They prescribed the prep I would need, and it wasn't until I got the stuff home and read the instructions that I realized, yeah, this was going to be like nothing I'd ever experienced before. Now, first, I should tell you that my diagnosis isn't really part of this story. I was fine. Second, I should also tell you that when I turned 50, my doctor, again, as they do at that age, recommended an endoscopy, though I didn't have to do the upper portion this time. Now, I'm going to compare my two experiences, and let me tell you that the world of medicine had changed dramatically in the 25-ish years since I'd last been scoped. When I was 23 years old, everything about the process seemed to be designed to make you feel like, well, like you were not a person with fears or emotions. You were a science experiment. In 1985, they wheeled me into a room for the procedure, and all around the room, hanging on the walls were lengths of black hose dangling from hooks, and the black hose had markings on them, I guess to tell the doctor how much of the hose he'd shoved in your body so far. 
If someone had been asked to design these things to look as much like instruments of torture as they could, I just, I want to say job well done. They had absolutely nailed it, and I'm sure earned a big raise when they were finished. They rolled me over on my side and exposed my rear end, I won't get more detailed than that, while putting some sort of thing in my mouth that was designed to hold my mouth open so they could scope me down my throat. They were just about to give me the injection that would mercifully make me unaware of further indignities I would endure when I suddenly had something to say, something really important that I wanted them to hear. So I reached up and I took the thing out of my mouth and I said to the people around me, Hey, do me a favor. Don't use the same hose for both ends. Now, as far as I was concerned, this was perhaps the funniest thing that I had ever thought of saying, that anyone had ever thought of saying in the history of lots of really funny things that have been said. I just knew that as I said this, it would kind of relieve the tension in the room. We'd all have a big laugh, and then we'd proceed from there. No one laughed. No one spoke. Apparently, as comedy venues go, it was a tough room. There wasn't even an acknowledgement that I had said something. Someone just reached over and took the mouth holder open thing out of my hand and stuck it back in my mouth. Did they seem a little annoyed to me? Hmm. Anyway, they gave me quickly a shot of Valium Demerol before I could say something else stupid, which again delayed the process. Flash forward 25 years to my next endoscopy, and I arrived at the doctor's office that had a totally different kind of feel. There was a waiting room that was meant, I think, to have a kind of spa waiting room kind of feel. Evidently, medicine had decided in the last two decades that scaring patients with a dark techno marquee de Sade kind of vibe didn't really serve much purpose other than entertaining whoever it was it entertained on the staff. Anyway, so here I sat in the waiting room 25 years later, and there must have been 15 to 20 people, those of us sitting around, waiting to be called back and having them do you know, everyone's sitting calmly and trying to look kind of disinterested, trying to look a little bored. I think everyone's trying to act like this was nothing. Something like sitting in the waiting room at the car dealership, waiting for your oil to be changed. It suddenly dawned on me the strangeness and humor of this situation. All of us are in exactly the same boat. Yet we're not talking to each other. Some of us aren't just here because we're 50. Some of us are here like 23-year-old Danny worried about a possible diagnosis. Some are afraid. Everyone is anxious. Not one of us wants to be here. Well, okay, there is that one guy across the waiting room. He might actually want to be here. But my point still stands. We all sit in collective, relative silence, waiting our turn, and no one speaks. Not even me. I keep thinking of funny things to say and then realizing the venue and then kept it to myself. Since this is my podcast and you can't actually say anything to disagree in real time, I will say I think we all can agree about how absolutely side-splittingly funny my sense of humor can be. But in this case, I remained silent until it was my turn to be called back. Now, why do I tell you this? Why, some of you are wondering, has Dan subjected us to this classic example of oversharing? Well, I'm reminded of the passage from 1 Corinthians that says, when one of us suffers, we all suffer. Which, as I think about it, isn't really true. It should be, but I don't think it describes the reality of the world in which we actually live. 
Maybe a better reminder would be, she who suffers in silence suffers alone. There's a life experience here that plays out again and again. Okay, I'm going to tell you another story. This is from my marriage. Look, when Sarah and I were expecting our first child, we went to a birthing class. There were probably 10 couples in this class. We sat on the floor and practiced various exercises and candle-blowing techniques for dealing with the pain of childbirth. By the way, every single one of those techniques was as effective as poking an angry mother bear with a burning stick in order to calm her down. Anyway, after our child was born, Sarah experienced postpartum depression. I want to be really clear about this. I don't mean she felt a little down one afternoon. She was deeply depressed for several weeks after the birth. Did you know that somewhere between 15 and 20% of mothers experience something similar after childbirth? That's one in five. In our class, that was likely two mothers, maybe more, were going to experience this. And yet nothing, not one single word was ever spoken about it. Everything about the childbirth process was meant to make it sound like it was this wonderfully glorious, kumbaya, pain-free, easy moment that it was all going to be delightful. Life is a lot like that colonoscopy waiting room. We're all going through the same thing. We all struggle. We all fear. We all feel pain. And we are wondering, even in that moment, if anyone else is experiencing it the way we are, if anyone else has ever experienced what we are, because no one else is talking. Look, some of us managed to skate through life with no pain, no fear, no struggles. Now, in my decades of ministry, I haven't ever met one of those people ever, but statistically, there has to be one or two out there somewhere in the history of the world. But the rest of us, well, we experience the full spectrum of what life has to offer. Let me say, if you are experiencing a struggle in your life, I can say to you with confidence that someone else, lots of someone else's, have experienced this before, and you don't need to go through this alone. There's someone out there who has created a support for you. And equally important, even more important, there are lots of us who have gone through things like depression, pain, fear, grief, and we have managed to survive. The truth is that the world needs a little less silence, a little more openness. Those of us who have been through hardship and survived, we don't have to do anything other than let it be known that it's something other than a secret. Prior to the birth of our first child, Sarah had never been depressed a day in our entire time together. Nor had either one of us ever heard that postpartum depression was a thing. If we had just known that that was normal and fairly common, it would have made a huge difference for both of us. I think I'm particularly aware of this around this time of year when we're expected to be eternally happy. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But this isn't the most wonderful time of the year. Matter of fact, for a lot of people, this is a really difficult time. There are a whole host of reasons why this time may be a struggle, even when it's never been a struggle any other time before. When I was younger, before I went to seminary, I worked in a state hospital that was for kids with emotional and psychiatric problems. 
One day, I was sitting with a treatment group with which I worked, adolescent girls, and the group was helping one teenage girl work through a trauma. She had recently had a setback in her progress, and one of the other girls, trying to put it into perspective, wisely said, look, everyone struggles. Everyone sometimes fails. To which the girl said this, and I'll never forget it. That's not true. Dan doesn't. Okay, now if you've listened to previous episodes of this podcast, or if you know me personally, then you will know that this statement does not have even a shred of truth to it. But what is true is that I had thought that having a solid and stable role model was helpful to our treatment group. So I tried hard to always have my stuff together when around the girls. They never saw me struggle. They never saw me fail. If we were going on a camping trip and I needed to teach them how to set up their tents, I practiced many times setting up the tent before I ever showed them or tried to teach them so that I didn't struggle. If I was teaching them canoe skills, I practiced the canoeing skills myself before I ever taught them so that it looked like, oh, I'm an expert. I know how to do everything. Having my stuff together wasn't a gift at all. It portrayed a falsehood to every single girl in this group. Now, the lesson here isn't about burdening other people with your suffering. It's about allowing other people to know when you've struggled so that they will know that in their struggles, they aren't alone. Oh, and there's an added benefit for you too. It relieves you of the crushing burden of showing the world that you are perfect when you're not. How much easier is that going to be? That's all for today. If you'd like to get in touch with me, my email address is dan at skypilot.zone. Also, please check and see if you have subscribed to this podcast so you can get notified of future episodes. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.